0: Good morning, everyone. Before we get started, a um, quick word to you young adults out there. We're starting a new rhythm with 707, our young adult community. And this Friday, it's our, uh, we're having our tabernacle. It's a once a month, young adult-specific gathering. This this Friday at, did I say sunday This Friday, 7.30 to 9. And then afterwards, we're going to have an outdoor movie and hang out. So this Friday, 7.30 to 9, we're going to look at the theme of wandering. So join us. So um, my wife and I went on vacation the last couple weeks to Virginia Beach, spent some time with family and friends, and I had an opportunity to do some reflecting. And uh, this year, 2014, has been a big year for me and my wife, Deborah. Uh, We we moved to Cleveland. That's a big deal. Uh, Took a new position here at CVC. Um, Even though it looks like my mom dropped me off for church, I am 30. (laughs) So... That's it. My wife said she saw a uh, gray hair last week, and I rebuked her. You know, it's, won't hear it. Um, and my wife's pregnant, so yeah. Thanks. And to, so, and two other staff wives are pregnant too. So I'll let you find out who that is. You can guess. Um, don't guess. But uh, yeah. So it's a it's a big year for for us and for me and. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those milestones, and I went. We went back to visit some friends in Virginia, where we're from, and it's kind of one of those things. Like, okay, this place is the same, but am I the same? You know, if if I could dial back to my 15 year old self, or 20 year old self, or 25 year old self, and and, I, and and show my 30 year old self to those versions of me, would I be pleased with who I am? I'm not talking about education or degrees or money or whatever. I'm talking about what the things that are really important the things of the heart. Would I be happy with who I am today if I knew who I was going to be when I was 15 or 20? And, you know, you may be fe- experiencing a transition in your life. Maybe your kid's off to college, and now there's this big empty home. Or maybe your kids are starting School and what happened to my little babies? Maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're midway through your career, maybe you're facing retirement, and you maybe have been in a place of reflection thinking, Hey, am I who I want to be at this juncture in my life? Is my heart filled with the amount of love and joy and peace that I want it to be at this place in my life? You know, if you're a Christian. That's an important question, but that's not even the ultimate question. The ultimate question would be, what does God think about me at this juncture in my life? Is He frustrated, annoyed at me, angry at me? Right. The question: Does God have a relationship like uh, to us, as we have a relationship to the Cleveland Browns? Right. Great expectation in the beginning great frustration toward the end. Because if it is, we're in trouble. Well, we're in the third week of looking at this biblical character named Jacob. Pastor Chad preached uh, through Genesis the last two weeks on Jacob, and we're going to uh, talk a little about Jacob uh, this morning. But before we do, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good and Lord we want to be people that reflect your goodness Lord we want to be the student and the roommate and the spouse the father the the mother the grandparent the worker that that we should be Lord I know if it's if everyone's like me sometimes we feel like we haven't really uh, aren't really where we want to be So Lord help us today as you look at Jacob Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us today. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Before we hop into our text in Genesis 34 through 35, let's do a little review of Jacob. If you remember from our Names of God series back in the early part of the year, the name in an ancient Near Eastern culture was huge. It determined the trajectory of your life often. And Jacob his name mean, it means the one who grasps at the heel, but more commonly understood, deceiver or trickster. And this guy, Jacob, throughout his whole life lived up to that name of trickster, of Jacob. All the most important relationships in his life were marked by trickery and deception. He tricked his dad to give him a blessing. He tricked his, his brother to uh, give him a blessing his birthright, and him and his father-in-law Laban was characterized by a series of tricks and schemes toward one another. So this guy, Jacob, lived his life to the fullest. We even see, or lived his name to the fullest. We even see his relationship to God was marked by scheming and trickery. In Genesis 28, uh, Jacob is on his way to a place where he's going to find a spouse. So he's young, he's got nothing, he's running from his his brother who wants to kill him, and God meets with him at a place called Bethel. Jacob falls asleep and has this dream and meets with God, and he wakes up. And his first response is not to praise God, it's not to glorify God. Jacob's first response is he cuts a deal with God. He puts these rocks in a pile and says, hey, God, if you keep me fed and clothed on my journey, then I will call you God and you will be my God. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. You see, Jacob was living his name as Jacob with a relationship with his, friend and his friends and his families and even relationship with God Almighty. But we see Genesis chapter 32, this mysterious scene where Jacob is about to meet his brother Esau, who wants to kill him. And Jacob and this image of a man wrestle throughout the night. And at that moment in Genesis 32, Jacob is renamed, renamed to Israel. God gives Jacob a completely new name in a moment's time. Formerly, it was Jacob, the swindler, the schemer, the deceiver. And now his name has been renamed to Israel, he who wrestles with God, the wrestler. So so Jehovah, Jireh, Yahweh, Elohim, the great God of all, he who made all things, renamed Jacob in a moment. And Scripture tells us that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are renamed in a moment. You see, we tell ourselves stories. We have our own identity. It might not be, you know, Bob or Susan or Janice, but we tell ourselves we have our own identity of of abused or dirty or worthless or stupid or foolish. You see, we tell those stories to ourselves, and often those stories we tell define the trajectory of our lives. But scripture says that the moment that we put faith and trust in Jesus, that he renames us and gives us a brand new name in a moment. We sent see that in First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine through eleven. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our identity changes from dirty to clean, from worthless to precious, from drunkard to empowered by the spirit, from awkward to the prince of the king, from weak to strong, in Christ. When we were saved, we, Scripture tells us, were put into the name of Christ. And everything that God sees in Christ, he sees in us. And everything God wants for Christ, he wants for us. But man, that's hard to live. But I think we can do a Bible study and understand, like this is what the Bible teaches, that we're made new and we have a new identity but it's really hard to live, right? How do we reconcile our identity as holy and beloved of God while we still do things that are wicked and harmful and shameful? See, God renames us in a moment, but sometimes we don't feel transformed immediately, and we see that in the story of Jacob too, You see, Jacob was renamed in Genesis 32, but he doesn't quite get it. We see in Genesis 34 this crazy story. You can go home and read it yourself. I can't get all into it uh, this morning. But basically, this is the gist. Jacob is staying in this foreign land, and one of Jacob's daughters gets attacked and sexually abused by the prince of that town. And the prince of that town now wants to marry Jacob's daughter. Well, Jacob's sons devise this scheme. He goes up to this prince and says, hey, we'll give you uh, our sister to marry if you convince everyone in your town to get circumcised, because that's what we do as Hebrews, we get circumcised. So this prince convinces his town, I don't know what he did, convinced them, um, But scripture says that as the men of the town were sore, two of Jacob's sons goes in and kills all the men in the city, takes their stuff. You see, these are, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. These are Jacob's sons. These are the swindler's sons. So see, old school Jacob, Probably would have come up to his sons and been like, that's a great idea. I should have thought of that myself. Good job, sons. Well, well done. Israel would have been, no, God tells us that is wrong and that we are be a, be a people who spreads the blessing of God. Right? So how does Jacob respond? Is it old school Jacob? Is it Israel? It's kind of a half-measure. Genesis uh, 30. Four verse 30 says this, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. See, Jacob does this kind of half measure. He's not like giving his sons high fives, but he's also not telling them, listen, this is against the way of the Lord our God. He's like, hey, it's dumb. (laughs) That was a dumb call because they can get their friends and come attack us. You see, being, God renames us in a moment, but living that name, it takes a lifetime. We see here That Jacob, God calls Jacob back to Bethel. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, look with me, Genesis chapter 35. Verse 1 says, God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So here's Jacob. He's been renamed in Genesis 32. Genesis 34, his sons do this crazy, wicked thing and kill all the men in the town, take their stuff. And God now calls Jacob back to Bethel. See, Bethel is that transition place. I think we all have a Bethel. Mine is Lynchburg, Virginia, where I went to college and seminary and maybe for you it's your parents' home or it's your hometown or you go back to that place and everything seems to say the same but yourself it's that moment of reflection and here's Jacob god sends him back to bethel before Jacob was single he had nothing but his staff and he had no family now back at bethel he's got a big family he's much older He's much more wealthy. And the question is, will Jacob live up to his new name? Will Jacob become transformed into the name and identity of Israel? And that's the question for our own lives. If you're a Christian, do you take on and begin to live your new identity as Christ? Or do you just get a little older couple extra pounds, a little more money in the bank account, and you just stay the same. The question in our lives, when we go to those moments of transition, those Bethel moments, will our hearts begin to be a heart that flows out of it love and joy and peace? Or will we fall back to our own identity as Jacob or as abused, as sinful and as discarded. Well, let's see what Jacob does. 35 verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. We see here that Jacob is beginning to be transformed into his new identity. See, Jacob's relationships to his loved ones, to his friends, and to his family is beginning to change. Scripture tells us that Jacob tells his family, hey, give me all your foreign gods. We're going to get rid of them. You know what that means? That means Jacob knew about the foreign gods to ask to get rid of them, right? Like if, if you go to your teenage son, hey, that, that video game that's way too violent, that objectifies women, and that you shouldn't be ever looking at, much less at a 15-year-old, hey, give that to me. I'm going to throw it. Right? If you know what's going on, it takes a step to make a change, especially when the history with those loved ones is one marked by in Jacob's Jacob's, uh, history, by our old nature, by our old identity. So Jacob's relationships begin to be purified. He gets rid of the foreign gods. Purity is emphasized in his family's life over possessions, and he recognizes God's provision. So Jacob's relationship, he's beginning to become his new identity in Israel. As Israel, let's keep reading verse nine it says God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, "Your name is Jacob, no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply." A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. See, Jacob's relationship with God is beginning to be transformed. God meets with Jacob and reminds Jacob of his new identity. He reminds Jacob that God is God and he is who he says he is. And he reminds Jacob of the promises that God promised to Jacob's father and his grandfather. It's funny, why do you think God came here to Jacob on Bethel and re-renamed Jacob to Israel? Because he needed a reminder. I think all of us need a reminder. We, I think, can understand from the Bible that we have a new identity in Christ. But, man, it's hard to remember that we have that new identity. That's why it's so important to be be in a life group where you meet with other believers and talk about and remind yourself that, no, you are characterized by the love of Christ, and that love can flow out through your life and through your relationships. See, God renames us in a moment, but living that name takes a lifetime. And we know that in the life of Jacob, and we know that in our own lives. We see it all throughout Scripture, First Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Second Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is key, Colossians 3 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. God renames in a moment, but living that name takes a lifetime. Now, some of you may be thinking at this point, okay. I know, Josh, I'm not at that place where I want to be. I get angry too quickly. I say things I know is harmful. I do things that I know is shameful. I, but I understand God, saved, God has saved me. Okay, by grace I've been saved, so you want me to try harder. Okay, all right, I'll try harder. I'll try harder to be a better student, be a better husband, be a better Mother, be a better worker, be a better friend. Okay, Josh, I know, but I've been trying hard and it's not working. I'm still that same old self and that same old identity. You see, if your uh, strategy has been just try harder, well, you've been living apart from the message of the gospel, you see, the gospel says that you are saved by grace. And the gospel also says you're transformed by grace. You see, we can't save ourselves, and we can't transform ourselves. You see, the world, you know, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your friends, they don't need a better version of you they need a little version of Christ. See, as Christians, Christian means little Christ. And we have been identified now with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And the message of the gospel says that before Christ, we were all infected with the virus of sin. And there's nothing in our world that could heal us. And that's why Jesus Christ Had to come to the cross and die, and it's only his blood that's the antidote for the virus that destroys our souls. You see, the the antidote, the applying of grace in our lives, does not happen by trying harder. It happens by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. God renames us in a moment. Living that name takes a lifetime. Thus, we must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by Christ. We're transformed by Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace you're being transformed. It's It's a big grace Christ sandwich. That is all we've got in the Christian life. And praise God, because we can't do it ourselves. Listen, you've met those people who have tried really, really, really hard to be a moral person, right? Those are those moral, arrogant, self-righteous jerks that you try to avoid, right? We know those people. See, trying harder is like breaking your ankle at the beginning of a marathon, marathon and just pushing forward to the end. You might get there, but you're going to have irreparable damage. The gospel says that the way to have a heart that flows from it, love, peace, and joy, is by putting on Christ. Okay, put on Christ. All right, is there some like dance or a little thing I do? Is there a pro? Oh, you wanted me to get into a program. All right, so I'm going to read my Bible, you know, through every month. I'm going to, you know, fast half the week at How do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? By simple steps of obedience. Simple, small steps of obedience. Before Jesus went to the cross, the evening before he was uh, illegally arrested, tried, crucified, he had a last supper with his disciples. And the gist of his discussion with his disciples is this analogy. He says, fellas, I am the vine. You are the branches. Your job as the the branches is to abide or remain in me. If you don't abide or remain in me, you're going to wither. If you do abide or remain in me, you produce fruit. Because you think about a branch, it's simply a conduit from the vine to produce fruit. And that is the Christian life. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ by simply remaining and abiding in Christ, by simple steps of obedience. John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Simple steps of obedience is how you put on the Lord Jesus Christ or as Eugene Peterson calls it, a long obedience in the same direction. So, you know, I, I discussed in the beginning of, the, of, of our time together that there's some areas in my life that I'm just, I'm not satisfied. The areas in my life that I want to grow in peace, love, enjoy my own heart. And if that is done, if my own transformation happens by simple steps of obedience, I, I kind of want to share with you the simple steps of obedience that I'm going to make this week, as I put on Jesus Christ, so that I can live my new identity. Would that be okay if I sh- share those things? It's not, you know, I'm not like pulling back the wizard's, uh, you know, curtain or whatever. Just, these are the the steps that I'm going to make this week. You know, I want to grow as a spiritual leader in my family. Right now, it's just me and me and my wife, Deborah. But November, there will be this other being joining us. Um, so I want to begin to lead my family better, especially in the area of memorizing Scripture. I have this all-star wife who's wonderful and awesome, and she uh, just memorizes Scripture all the time. I remember our first year of marriage; she memorized the Book of Philippians like on her own, and um, and sometimes she'll be like, "Hey, Josh, let's memorize this this verse together." And I don't know. Maybe it's my. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's pry, you know, I'm over there reading my fancy theology book, you know, and she's memorizing scripture. I don't know what it is, but I want to grow in that way. So this week, my simple step of obedience for growing in um, as being a leader in my home is we're going to memorize Genesis 32, 10 together, right? It's not a long verse, but it's just a simple step of obedience that I'm going to take this week. Another area I want to grow is I'm too easily discouraged I want to be a man who is strong and courageous, but I feel like I'm too easily discouraged, especially when it comes to stuff um, where I want to see unrealistic results immediately, <laughs> you know, and whether it's uh, with, with ministry here at church or my own life or in relations with others. So this week, I'm going to start reading a book by Kent Hughes called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. I'm probably not going to read it all this week. But that's one small step of obedience I'm going to take this week to put on Lord Jesus Christ so that I can become a stronger, more courageous man. Another area, my prayer life. I want to be characterized as a man of prayer. And Pastor Dale this week uh, encouraged me to fast on Wednesdays in in preparation for the men's retreat, September 26th and 27th. So that's what I'm going to do. On Wednesdays, I'm, I'm not going to eat food and I'm going to pray during the time I usually eat food, right? Nothing crazy, like it's, it's just one day I will survive, you know. I, I don't have a lot of fat stores, but I think I'll get through Wednesday. Um, but that's just a simple step that I'm going to take to grow in my prayer life. And finally, I want to be someone who personally is involved in, invi- in inviting people to new life in Christ. Through our Life Houses initiative, there's someone I've been praying for in our apartment complex and I invited him to church last week, and he's, he wasn't able to come. He had something going on. So, my small step of obedience, I'm going to invite him this week. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not like I'm going to sit down, and, like prove the existence of God. I'm just going to be like, hey, you want to come to church with me this Sunday? And if he says, oh, no, that's okay, all right, maybe I'll invite him next week. If he says, sure, well, then we'll drive together, right? This is not, this is not rocket scientist. These steps is how I feel like God's calling me to abide in the vine, these small steps of obedience, so I can live my new identity as Christian, because God has renamed me through Christ. So what are your small steps of obedience for this week? In your relationships, your work life, your personal purity, your thought life, your fears, and your anxieties— How are you going to make small steps of obedience this week to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's some suggestions. Hey, think about memorizing Romans 13, 14. You know what? If you are in a life group, you will memorize that verse this week in your life group if you use our study guide. How about fast one meal this week and pray during that that time you normally eat lunch or eat dinner? What about calling or texting your parents, just to tell them thank you, even if it's just thank you that I am still alive, right? Some parents, it might be hard to find some things, but why not just say, mom, dad, thank you for being my parents. Last week, Chad talked about burying the hatchet. That person, you know, you were going to text after service that maybe you didn't do, why not text that person and work to bury the hatchet? Why not invite... uh, I make it even easier. If you see your neighbor outside, talk to your neighbor. That's the first step to developing a relationship that you can invite people to a new life in Christ. Just try that. And you know what? We have a great resource online called the Fruit of New Life Assessment. It's on our Facebook page right now. You can go in there, it's a test. You can take it, and it gives you a whole list of resources that you can use to make these simple steps of obedience in your own life. And I encourage you to do so. Let me me, uh, close with this story. Deborah and I have great friends named Matt and Charity Torrance in Central Virginia. Matt's a school teacher, and they live on this family farm. They got like chickens and you know, cows and stuff. Wonderful, beautiful family. Well, for medical reasons, they were never able to have children of their own. So they began the process of adoption. And they adopted these two brothers that had been removed from their home because of neglect. These two little boys, Adams the older, Tathers the younger, were adopted into the Torrance home given a place in the house, they were given the torrent's name, and they were given all the torrent's possessions and inheritance. But Adam, the oldest boy, for months would sneak food from the kitchen table and hide it throughout the house. You see, when they were neglected, that's how they survived. The older brother would hide food and feed it to the younger brother. So I know it was a a difficult thing. All late-term adoptions are generally difficult. Now, I remember one Sunday, Charity was uh, up front singing. She sings with the band, and they were singing. And it was a time in the service where the kids leave to go to their classrooms. And all the kids were filing out and going. And then you see Adam sprint up to the front of the stage, climb up on stage during the song, and give his mom a big old hug, and then runs back to class. And I think most of the people in the service were like, these disobedient children, you know. But those who knew what was going on, it was powerful. Because daily, there has been a transformation in Adam's little heart where he became to believe that he was a torrent. That's what God offers us. He has adopted us. He has invited us into his home. We don't have to squirrel away little scraps of food. He has given us everything of His, and He's renamed us, and He's invited us to live our new name. And if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, He offers you a new name. He's offered you not neglect, but fatherly care, and He loves you. And if you are a child of God, then He invites you to live your new name as a little. Christ as a son and daughter of the king because he doesn't view you as worthless. He views you as valuable and as important and as vital to his home to the point that he would send his only son to die so that you could be part of his family. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. You are so loving. Lord, thank you that through Christ, you have renamed us. That through Christ, in a moment, we have transitioned from an enemy of God to a friend and a child of God. But Lord, give us strength to live that new name. Lord, may we put on the Lord Jesus Christ by little steps of obedience. And may our hearts be transformed through our lifetime so that it gushes with the love and joy and peace that a heart fixed on Christ can come. Lord, help us be diligent. Help us persevere. And Lord, help us live up to our new name in Christ. Look, as you delight in your children running to you, giving you a big hug without any fear. Lord, may we be without fear of our Heavenly Father. And we love you so much. Thank you for what you've done through through your son on the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.